0: Welcome to the Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Nathan Berry. I'm the CEO at ConvertKit. And I'm joined by my co-host, Barrett Brooks. He's the COO here at ConvertKit. And we're on a mission to help creators earn a living. This show is about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. Welcome to episode 86. It is The Future Belongs to Creators. Today we are talking about paid newsletters. It's probably the most requested topic out of all topics. We're diving in. We have a lot of opinions, both pro and con. Hmm. Anyway, join us for a heated debate. We should do that. Now we won't actually. We're both
1: so nuanced. Well, wouldn't it kind of be like a cold debate? You know, because it's like, it's cold outside. All right. All right.
0: Okay. Okay. Anyway, with that. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. (laughs) I'm going to assume that's green on the red, yellow, green scale. I am green. We've had a long couple of weeks.
1: We did our annual planning last week. And on Thursday evening, we went down to Bend, Oregon, met some friends who came up from San Francisco. They are pregnant with their first child. So they've been very strict about distancing. We have also been very strict. Mm. We got to hug real humans. It was amazing. I went fly fishing on Friday, caught a couple of beautiful rainbow trout. It was incredibly cold. It was just as cold, but I was in cold water as well. And that was, yeah. you know, <laughs> I don't think I'll fish in the winter. I think I'll ski. Yeah. So it was a good weekend. Glad to be back at work. We've got uh, the kind of like sunny fall weather right now. That's always beautiful in Portland before we get into the rainy five months or whatever. So anyways, life is good. Excited for the pod. Haven't been on in a little while. Has been a while. That's it. Yeah. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. I'm going on vacation tomorrow. Just getting a little time away, which would be nice. Today's my day of all kinds of meetings, but been good. Just getting really plugged in and everything everything's going on with the team. I will say it's really fun to have a big team. Big for us is, you know, 55 people, 60 people. The reason that I say that is because you just have all these super smart people doing their best work every week. And it adds up to a lot of things. A lot of things we're building and shipping. We'll talk about some of that today with paid newsletters coming out in a couple of weeks and other details. But it's been fun to dive in with the team and help answer questions, see what they're working on. and There's all kinds of problems like, you know, I was working on all this tax research of, okay, we have a payments platform. Now we need to support VAT and all these other taxes our engineering manager, and our product manager on our commerce team were like, they were very nice about it, but they were basically like, go away. We have this. (laughs) And I realized, yeah, you do. You're right. I'll go work on something else now. And that's a good feeling. Perfect. I got a long list. Anyway, let's talk paid newsletters. First,
1: paid newsletters. First, why don't you introduce this,
0: Barrett? It's been a big year for paid newsletters.
1: Indeed. I'll give you a line. I'll give you listeners a line from our board meeting last week. One of our board members said, well, congratulations, you're an incumbent. And I thought it was this great, it was just this great moment of like acknowledging where we are in our trajectory as a company. We've been around seven years. You know, there are plenty of email companies who have been around much longer, but we're continuing to build ourselves into more of like an all-in-one platform, Mm -hmm. creator marketing platform to be more specific. And he said this line because we were talking about our continued growth and like thinking about existing players in the market, new players in the market. And what are we gonna do from a strategic standpoint? Like how do we maintain focus, but also make sure we kind of protect our space in the creator market? One of the things we talked a lot about was this new entrant, right? We've talked about them before. is a company called Substack. They came into the market this year, funded by Kleiner Perkins, no, Andreessen Horowitz, whatever, probably all of them. <laughs> and they've got that like Silicon Valley buzz. And one of Silicon Valley's favorite things is to define what the next big thing is. And we've kind of made fun of it this year that like they've said, newsletters are the next big thing, you know, email and paid newsletters specifically, next big thing. And I'm like, okay, I guess, like, you mean the past 20 years this has been happening and y'all are just figuring it out? There's a business opportunity. But one thing that they did really well is paid newsletters. It wasn't just newsletters. It was that Substack came in and said, we're going to allow you to get paid directly for writing content. And they have focused really heavily in kind of the venture capitalist, Silicon Valley space, and then like reporters who want to go independent. Mm -hmm. And they've carved off this really nice niche. And that has started this conversation around, oh, like people are like, oh shit, I can just write my normal email newsletter and I can get paid for it. And in some ways, it's just building on this concept that I think Patreon started with, which was get paid for what you already do. This idea of patronage or people who support art because it should exist in the world or support literature because it should exist in the world. It's existed way back, like probably beyond this, but definitely back to the Renaissance. This was a really popular concept, right? It was typically wealthy people, but just generally people who valued art directly funding the creation of that art. And I think we're seeing that come to newsletters now. And so there's been this big spike in interest of, okay, so number one, a newsletter doesn't feel like a huge barrier to entry. I feel like I could maybe do that. And number two, if I can get paid for it, that sounds amazing. So let me see if this is something I want to do. So we want to get into today too. why has it become big? Like beyond just there being the option, why has it become big? What are we seeing with it? And then get into kind of some of the pros and cons of starting a paid newsletter. Anything you want to add just for the overview of the
0: topic? It's always interesting to think, to reflect back on how things play out versus expectations, that kind of thing. The first thing that came to mind is something that I think I was wrong about, or we'll see how it plays out, is people are way more willing to pay for a newsletter directly than I expected, like on a subscription basis. You know, as far as the number of people that I talk to who have, say, 5,000 subscribers on the list and fully 10% of them you know, paying for the paid version at, you know, $10 or $20 a month. And that's a higher conversion rate than I would have expected if I were sitting down a year ago and planning out, oh, I'm going to launch a paid newsletter. And I've seen enough examples of this. It's like, wow, it might be because this is a new trendy thing and everyone's trying it out. Or it might be that there really is this strong willingness to pay for quality content on a consistent basis from creators that you really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting to
1: think about that. You know, one of the things that I've really tried to couch this in, like, I always want a framework for thinking about things that's broader than the topic itself or an individual company or an individual newsletter. The way I've been thinking about this is that paid newsletters fit into a budget category. So I always think in terms of buyer behavior, what budget category do I fit in in their mind? Like what is the buying decision they're making? And for years, there's been a budget category of media. And if we wanna limit it to written media, it would be newspapers, books, magazines, like all of that is the same budget category for most people. And then if you wanna extend it further, I think we're seeing some overlap between that and then like cable, Netflix, Hulu, like all of that gets couched into media. And now we've got things like YouTube and Patreon and all of these online media that you can pay for as well. And so what we're doing is we're just expanding this category of what media is. And there's two things that happen when that happens. Number one is you expand the market for paid media. Mm -hmm. So more people become willing to pay for it as the media becomes more attractive to them. Someone who like pays to get the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal on their doorstep every day may not be the audience for a paid newsletter. Some of them might, but for maybe a younger audience where they are primarily reading everything online, they might say like, well, actually, I really enjoy getting curated news from this guy over here, this this woman over here rather than some institution that I don't trust as much or something like that. And so what I think we're going to see is this big initial enthusiastic bump of subscriptions and people paying for them and then fatigue. Because I think what people will realize over time is what keeps people paying for something is a habit. Mm -hmm. And when you pay for lots of things, like I did this with magazines for years, I got Wired, Entrepreneur, Inc., The Economist. And what I found was that it just progressively led to more and more guilt, right? I was paying for these things. They were being printed on natural resources, which is paper. And they were just sitting in a stack and they were a mental to-do list. And I felt so much relief when I just canceled them. It's like, you know what? I don't have to get these magazines. And if I really want them, I'll pay $9.99 or whatever it is in the grocery store. Because yes, it might be more expensive, but I get to opt in instead of constantly having it flooding me. And so I'm going to be interested to see if we actually see it kind of drop back off and level out to a fairly reasonable number of subscriptions that a given person has that fits into that budget category. They're not stretching to do it. And that fits their consumption patterns over time. And that'll get into some of the pros and cons too. But I'll be interested to see the kind of curve of the
0: market. Yeah, for sure. And I think that one thing to make clear up front is that we're big believers and and big fans of paid newsletters. And we'll get into a lot of the reason why. And so what's going on in ConvertKit is we you know have the ability to launch free newsletters right now I'll pull up mine that I have publicly just launched you can go to nathan.ck.page slash newsletter, right? And so now in ConvertKit, as of, I don't know, four weeks ago or so, you have the ability to, without an extra site and publishing in a different place, you can come in, publish your newsletters, have them you know, show up here. And if you dive into one, it's got the full post ready to be read and shared on the web. And a bunch of people have made these. It's been really fun to see creators launch that and say like, wow, I can just create in one spot. And that's really great. Now, the next thing coming on November 9th is we are launching paid newsletters and not just paid newsletters, but all of recurring payments, right? Where you can, you could sell access, you could do recurring coaching, anything. But the use case we're primarily focused on is a paid newsletter where I could have my free version and then someone opts into a paid version. And we're doing it in a way that's really flexible for a lot of different creators. So you could actually create your opt-in funnel, right? where someone subscribes to the free one, and then on the thank you page for that, it says like, hey upgrade to the paid version right here. If they don't, you could, you know, have automated emails that follow up later having little pitches to the paid version, stuff like that. So, like everything we do with ConvertKit, it's going to be really powerful and, you know, powerful, flexible, all of that. So, that's coming soon because we believe in paid newsletters long term. But I want to dive in and say like just Kick off with why you should do a paid newsletter, why you shouldn't, and then we'll kind of balance those back and forth. Because I think the biggest reason, Barrett, something you've talked about a lot of why you should do a paid newsletter, like why it's such a great thing, is you can just get paid for the thing that you want to make. Instead of saying, I want to write the best articles on this topic that anyone has ever read, but I need to make money, so I'll also write this ebook or I'll also produce this course. But like the articles are the thing I want to make. That's sort of the split between two different directions. Whereas paid newsletters, you can say like, look, Mm -hmm. my fans are going to read my stuff. They'll pay for it. Everyone will pay 10 bucks a month for it or whatever the price is. And that's the way to go. I get paid to make the thing that I want to make. And it's a clean, simple business model.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the most attractive thing about it, right? And you can do all the math on if I get this many subscribers at this number of dollars, like I can make a living doing this. And here's the thing you have to remember. People are not just paying you because you write regularly, they're not paying for just the idea, right? They're paying you to write regularly and not just to write regularly, but to write good stuff regularly that provides them value. Mm -hmm. That would be the first reason to do it, right? Is if you have a writing habit and you are good at it, To the point where people say, you know, I would pay you for this. And maybe they haven't said it explicitly, but you know, you could see it from your engagement numbers or kind of the degree of comments or replies you get to your emails or something like that might be good indicators that you have a good written style and that that caters to just kind of how your mind works. And so there's two ways I think about this. One is curated content. One is original content. Curated content is you are, and someone made this point in the chat, like let's say you're an epidemiologist right now. And you are deep in the scientific research, like you subscribe to all of the stuff, maybe through your institution, you see all of the publications coming out about the studies being done and the vaccine trials and like the spread of the virus and where the hotspots are and all of this. My mother gets one of these newsletters every morning is like, here's the numbers, here's what you should know. That would be a great example of being a curator, right? You have both the expertise to filter and you have access to all of the information that you're already consuming anyways. You might as well just reflect the best stuff back to the people following you. The second is original content. Original content is way harder. I think curator, it takes taste, it takes time, and it takes access, right? Mm -hmm. Those things are challenging too. And to be a great curator, it can be its own set of expertise without a doubt. But original content worth paying for is quite challenging. Someone else said that they subscribed to Stratechery by Ben Thompson. Yeah. He's been at this a long time. I mean, he was the use case for this. Right. He was like the original thinker, which is a great insight into his mind because a lot of his content, it's based on other stuff going on. It's kind of like this mix of original content and curation, mm-hmm. but he says it, strategy, tech, that's what it is. And he's got this strategic mindset on what's happening in the tech industry that breaks it down so that you're getting exposed to ideas and an opinion on those ideas or an opinion on activity in the industry that you can trust. So that original content, I think that takes longer to be able to do well. And that's why you see in the news industry, right, which is the best approximation for paid writing that we have, another one would be books, but in the news industry, you see local news beats reporting on, you know, crime in the city of Wichita or something like that is where they start or weather. And then they slowly move up. Maybe they get one investigative piece every three or six months. And that's their chance to really build their skill set around something more original, more expansive. And then they go to a bigger city newspaper and then a bigger city newspaper. And then all of a sudden, the New York Times is having you write their best investigative pieces. But it's like 15 years of work to get to really good original research content, right? And so anyways, I would just say, like, those are the two reasons to do it. If you're on that path to writing great original content, this is a good way to fund it. Or, two, if you're a great curator and you're already ingesting a lot of content that a certain type of person would be really interested in, could be a great topic for a newsletter.
0: Yeah. And I think the last reason of why you should write a newsletter is if you want to try out a new business model and understand how the creator economy is changing. We're going to see more and more of these things change over time. We saw it when Patreon came on, right? Of like, wait. I can just give some behind the scenes access or even just have people support me. And that works. I don't have to sell them something necessarily. I think that was really freeing for a lot of creators, particularly in the music space or YouTubers or other markets. And you're like, oh, that's so much easier than coming up with new products to sell. And so I think a lot of people tried that out. A whole portion stuck with it and said, yes, this is for me. A bunch of others said like, nope, I'd rather sell courses or, you know, digital downloads or books or my music or whatever else. And so I think the same thing is going to happen here. I think it's worth trying if you're interested to say like, okay, I'm going to do a paid newsletter. What'd be interesting in the thought, maybe I'll ask this as a question since I don't have clear thoughts on it right now is how would you best try it out? Like if you're saying, I want to do this and I have an audience, let's say we already have a thousand to 5,000 subscribers, right? We have traction, I have habits as a creator. So like showing up consistently is not going to be, you know, a huge challenge. I've demonstrated that I can do it. But how do you try out that business model and say like, I want to run it for three months, six months.
1: I think in some ways you're kind of doing it right now. You know, you've been doing your weekly newsletter. Mm -hmm. I think I would start with a free newsletter. I would see, do I have enough to say in a free newsletter every week Right. for, let's call it 12 weeks. Would probably be like, can I do it for three months? And I would start by curating. And I think this is an interesting concept that you might be able to use because someone asked in the chat, for example, Nikki asked, does making the newsletter paid reduce its reach and utility as an audience growth tool? It's like, yes, without a doubt, making it paid and gating content reduces the reach of that content. But the goal of paid content is not reach, right? It's getting paid, right? And you definitely want to get paid by as many people as possible, but you inherently have to understand there are two things you're doing. There's the product you're selling which is the thing people are paying for. And then there's whatever is supposed to get the reach. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're the same. Sometimes they're different right? And we can get into a couple of examples of paid newsletters that do this well, but I would start by doing a curated newsletter. So, you know, maybe in my case, it would be, I did a how to find a meaningful job workshop a while back. And if I wanted to only go towards that audience, maybe I would go curate the eight most interesting jobs on the web this week for people who care about finding meaning at work or something like that. I wouldn't actually do that because I'm not interested enough to care, but it would be a really good experiment to see, could I grow an audience around that where it's like this very specific, talented, purpose-driven person is the person on the list and I send them jobs. And then maybe the paid newsletter later, if I complete that experiment of the first 12 weeks becomes original content about meaning at work, you know, or something more broad than just this jobs thing. And so I think understanding the job to be done of the different types of content you're producing, you have to be the best at producing the paid stuff because without the paid stuff, the marketing and the reach stuff doesn't matter.
0: Yep. Yeah. Well, let's dive into that on reasons that we wouldn't recommend launching a paid newsletter, because that is our first reason is your best content is hidden behind a paywall. So it makes it much harder to grow your audience. Mm -hmm. Normally you write some incredible piece and you put it out there. This is like the level of quality that I think of when I did my ladders of wealth creation, where like, I want to be putting out that quality of content. So you do that, then you're torn. Like I want that to be free so we can go to as many people as possible, but that's the quality that people are paying for So if that's free, then Is the bar even higher for the paid group? You know, and you're stuck in this world where it becomes much harder. And we've heard this from a lot of newsletter creators who have said, hey, I grew my list to 10,000 subscribers. I launched the paid version. It went really well for a while. But I noticed that this curve that I got. Actually, I can think of one specific creator who I won't name specifically talked about an S curve in their list growth where they had this crazy growth. They went paid and they got still growing, but the middle part of the S curve and they went, actually, I care more about the total reach right now rather than the income. And they went free again and picked up the last part of the S curve. It's a huge issue. And you would need to have a good strategy for how to continue to grow your list when your best content is behind a paywall.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So I guess you, you have to know the purpose of each piece of content that you're putting out and what your ultimate objective is. Is it to get paid? Like, is your business model going to be a newsletter? Or is your newsletter a marketing channel for another business model? It's a really important distinction to make. If your newsletter is how you're going to get paid, then you're going to need marketing channels to grow your audience for it. Right. So just understand that and those things are sometimes different.
0: Yep, for sure.
1: So getting into kind of other reasons why not to, Number one, recurring revenue seems like an amazing business model, or not number one, this is like number four. I think I talked about this the other week when we were going through our teammate Ben's paid podcast idea. It was very similar, right? Yeah. Recurring payments are awesome totally cool. It seems like you can just keep doing what you're doing and get paid more and more as more people pay you. But what a lot of people don't realize, especially if you haven't had a recurring business model before, is that you also lose customers every month. And so what you'll find is that like, let's say you have 10 paying subscribers to your newsletter for five bucks a month. So you're making 50 bucks a month. You think, well, if I just add five or 10 new subscribers a month for the next 24 months, like two years from now, I can quit my job. I don't know if that's actually how that math would work out, but conceptually you get it. But what you don't account for is that every month between now and then three people are going to cancel. And so to get to 20 next month, you don't need to add 10 when you're starting at 10, you need to add 13. And then when you add 13, there's 20 next month, six people cancel now because it's the same cancellation rate. And so now to get to 30, you need to add 16 the next month. And that is what gets hard about a recurring model is providing value to people over and over and over. And so that's why you see things like annual payments, Mm -hmm. because it locks someone in for a year. And in exchange for that, you get a discount. But all the math is on that is how long do I typically keep someone paying me when they're a paid subscriber? And can I get close to that by just charging them upfront for a year? And typically it's worth giving a discount because it's worth more to you to have someone locked in than it is to see if they're going to pay you over, let's say it takes eight months, like you pay the equivalent of eight months to get an annual access, but a person only stays around on average six months. Well, that's why the annual is so discounted is because they'd rather get more total money from you, but make less per month. Because at the end of the day, there's always a lifetime value, which is the equivalent of a one-time purchase. Yeah. I don't know if that actually made sense, but hopefully.
0: It's one of those concepts that if you for a listening if you didn't fully understand it, it's worth diving into more because it's one of these very core things in business. And that's why back when membership sites were really popular, right? It's like, "Oh, I'm going to charge $50 a month for this instead of say $500 for the course because now I have this recurring revenue." And what a lot of people found is that the lifetime value, you know, people will only stay for say 6 months And so it came out to $300 instead of $500 if they just charged up front. It can be really hard to sell recurring products. Mm -hmm. And then what becomes even harder is the treadmill afterwards. We touched on this a little bit already, but just asking yourself, why did I get into this? Did I do it because I wanted a direct connection with my fans and I wanted to show up every week consistently and provide value to them, which I think is absolutely true. But there's the other side of like, I did it for freedom. I did it so that I could take off for a couple of weeks and my business would be on autopilot and everything. And that gets a lot harder when people are paying you. You can't say like, oh, by the way, we're taking the month of December off from paid newsletters because people are like, great, I'll be taking the month of December off from my payment as well. And some will be like, awesome. Right. You know, I'm in it for the long haul.
1: Enjoy it. Mm -hmm.
0: You'll have this like, oh, it's Monday. My Tuesday newsletter goes out tomorrow. Is it ready to go? So I know mine was ready yesterday. So just... You know, but that's a rare thing, right? And so you end up having this obligation when maybe you got into it for freedom. And so then you're thinking, okay, for me to take a vacation, I actually have to get out ahead. And that gets even more challenging.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It ends up being like, if I'm going to take a week long vacation, I need to be three weeks ahead. Right. You know, I need this week's and then I got to have next week's, which is when I'm on vacation. Then I actually need to have the next week's as well, because I'm not going to have time when I get back from vacation to get it ready. Right. And like, that's great. The professionals, that's what they do. Mm -hmm. It's ready to go. They don't complain about going on vacation. They just do extra work ahead of time to get it ready. But that doesn't change how hard it is and how much work goes into getting that done. Right. It's difficult to get to that level.
0: One thing that came to mind is I think this is part of the reason that Substack has had a lot of success with journalists and people in the news space. Because there's already this level of professionalism as a writer that's like far beyond what I have. If someone was like, hey, have 2000 words on this topic by tomorrow morning, I'd be like, um, there's three hours left in my work day. I can't do it, you know, but like a journalist would be like. That sounds like an average day of work. You know, like that's normal. Yeah. I'm a professional. I know how to do this. I have the systems. Let me go do two hours of research and then I will sit down and I will write this whole thing and I'll knock it out. And so for them going from having an editor telling them that every day to like, whoa, if I work for myself, I cut out the editor, I cut out the publication, people pay me directly. And I only have to do that twice a week. Like, come on, this is easy because they've built up that level of skill and that level of professionalism. They're like, yeah, I can do that. No problem.
1: I think that we will see, you know, if we think about secondary and tertiary impact of things like market changes, like paid newsletters, I think we'll see a growing demand for editors for the professionals in this, Mm -hmm. because I think that relationship change between I owe myself something because I owe it to my audience versus I owe my editor by today so that they can edit tomorrow to get it published the next day is a big shift, right? And so, like, if I were going to do this, and obviously I'm coming from a place where, like, it would be a side project. I have a full time salary that can fund it. Yeah. I would hire an editor because that's the only way it's getting done is if I owe it to someone at the end of a day versus if I'm just like, well, I'll get it done when I get it done. So it'll be interesting to see if that becomes more popular.
0: I wonder if someone creates like a productized service agency of being an editor for. You know, these paid newsletters. And you might have some version of it, right? Where someone's coming in with their ideas Mm -hmm. and they have a brainstorming session with their editor who's asking them questions like, how can we come up with topic ideas for the next 25 newsletters in a one hour session? Our good friend Sean McCabe is really good at this. Before you know it, we've got 50 ideas written out. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, kind of that next thing is great. Now, not only will I hold you accountable, but I'll also edit your content. Like anytime you work with a good editor, we have two or three really talented editors on the team at ConvertKit. And whenever I write for ConvertKit, you know, my content goes through them. Whereas when I write for myself, it just, I just publish it, you know? And they come through and they're like this, but like that, and not this that instead. And I'm like, oh wow, it's so much better. Mm-hmm. And so having that editor providing that advice and help is really good. And then I wonder if the last thing that like this agency could do is take that content and then give it to you in like TweetStorm format. Like, Great post.
1: Oh, yes. To promote it.
0: Good job. Now post this as your Twitter thread.
1: And that's what we're seeing for a lot of paid newsletters to go back to the when your content is paid, how do you grow your audience? We're seeing a lot of people leverage Twitter. And so you could do this in a lot of different varieties. You could have it be YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, like whatever. It doesn't matter the platform. Instagram, they'll do a tweet storm. And I like to think of the tweet storm as being all the way up to the hook. Mm. The hook being like the thing that pulls you in and makes you want to keep reading. And so, like, I'll preface my creator and resource of the day with an example of this. So the other day, I was at a dinner party, and I heard this story about an adolescent Italian boy who ended up spying against the Nazis at the age of 18 in World War II. And then you, like, go three or four more tweets. So first, he went up into the Alps, and he helped Jews escape into Switzerland across the Italian border. Next, he went back, and he was going to be drafted into the fascist army to go fight against the Russians. But... His uncle got him an in with a general who he went to be an assistant for. And you'll never believe how he turned that into one of the most important spying operations against the Nazis in Italy during World War II. And then that links to your paid thing, you know? Like it gives enough information that it's worthwhile on its own. And you couldn't do this every time because people would get annoyed. It's like, okay, I'm following you for you to hook me in and then tell me to pay you. Right. But that's a kind of example of how you would grow your audience for the paid thing without the paid thing needing the reach.
0: Yeah, I think that covers pretty well why you should and shouldn't do it. Like everything in the creative world, it's actually pretty nuanced. There's no cut and dry answer. And I think what we're seeing is it's a great option for the professionals who have the habits, who are ready to show up consistently. And it's going to be rough for someone who is like, I'm going to start a paid newsletter because it's trendy and exciting. Something else that comes to mind is that just because it's the newest business model doesn't mean it's the be all end all. And something that I think we'll see a lot of is people running a paid newsletter and doing a course or and putting out a book or some of these things. And so I think it will be really important. This is something we're building into ConvertKit is the ability to sell multiple types of things. Right. So I can have my paid newsletter and then, you know, sell coaching through the same platform or to sell you know, my paid book or a one-off email course or anything else through that, because it's just going to change as you shift and learn what's right for you and what's right for your business. And we don't want you to have to switch platforms when you switch business models.
1: Yep. Yep, it's no easier, it's no harder than other business models. It just takes commitment. And and I think, you know, if we really had to break down our base level advice regardless of what business model you're using as a creator, it would be pick one that you're ready to commit to because it's going to take time to build it up. It's going to take time to earn a full-time living from it. And you should do the one that most caters to your habits as a creator and to your particular industry or vertical, you know, if you're a photographer, or if you're a journalist or whatever, that might change what business model you should pick. So, just because it's new to your point it doesn't make it best creator of the day
0: all right my creator is a youtuber from the uk named ali abdal and Sean McCabe actually introduced me to his work. It's great. So he's a full-time doctor in the UK. And then on the side, he goes and creates a YouTube channel about how he studies for exams and productivity and all this other stuff. And then he grows it to 1.1, almost 1.2 million subscribers. Just great quality content. Production quality is really high. He's friends with people like Sean and Matt Ragland and Charlie and you know all our YouTuber friends. And he just tweeted today that he's going to switch over to ConvertKit. So pretty pumped about that that have him, but I've been enjoying his content and uh, you should check it out as well.
1: That's pretty awesome. I didn't know that yet. Okay, my creator and resource of the day are Mark Sullivan and Beneath a Scarlet Sky. In the preface or whatever to the book, Mark, the author, talks about basically floundering to come up with a book idea. And it was a true story I was talking about in that example tweet thread. If he went to a dinner party and he heard this true story of this Italian boy, you know, becoming a man during World War II. And he was like, wait, 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 is that real? Has anyone talked about that? Like, is there a book on this? Is there a movie? on This, this is incredible. And it turned out no. And so he went and found the guy who was still alive and interviewed him over like hundreds of hours and got the whole story.
0: And this is a fiction book. So it's, you know, I guess maybe it would be like historical fiction kind of category. There's certain gaps that try as hard as he might. He couldn't fill in a few of these gaps. And because of that, he's labeling the book as fiction, but he has tried his absolute hardest to make it true to life. And if he could have filled in those gaps, he would have called it nonfiction.
1: Yep. It is fantastic though. I read fiction at night before bed because it doesn't get my mind spinning in the same way that nonfiction or biography does. This one is hard to put down though. So that's the problem sometimes, right? Is you get one that you open up and then you can't put it down. It's like, I should go to sleep, but I want to keep reading. So this is one of those books. They're rare and few and far between, but if you like history and you like kind of like almost coming of age, like courageous stories. This is one of those good ones to check out. And I would love to meet Mark someday now. Like I would just love to hear the story of gathering all this information and digging in on the research on it because I bet it was, I bet discovering it was as exciting, if not more than the writing of it.
0: Yeah. I'll just add to that. This is probably my favorite book that I've read in the last 12 months. One of our team members Chris, now we're just recommending great books. I gave her a book called Red Notice, which is about this businessman from the UK who goes into Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union and like starts a hedge fund and all this stuff. It's wild. He ends up like almost getting assassinated by the government and all kinds of stuff. So check out Red Notice if you haven't already. And anyway, so I gave it to Chris, one of our coworkers, and she loved it, read it really quickly. And she was like, if you enjoyed this, you're obviously going to like beneath the scarlet sky. It's just so good. I've recommended it to a lot of people.
1: So last bit. And then we'll wrap up the other week. We were having our kind of like social time as an executive team after our planning. And we were talking, everyone was saying how they've been reading more during the pandemic. I was like, God, I feel horrible about myself. I've been reading like not at all. I played, you know, a game on my iPad and watch TV series right now. Cause I have no energy left at the end of the day. And I said, that to my wife. And she was like, what are you talking about? You read every day. I was like, I don't read every day. never, I don't read anything. She was like, how many novels have you read this year? (laughs) I was like, ah, that doesn't count. What do you mean, novels? But her point was like, you've read a dozen books or something this year, you bozo. You can't not count them just because they're fiction. Anyways, she told me to take credit for the actual reading that I do. So hence the recommendation.
0: That sounds good. Well, that's it for today. If this is helpful, drop a note in the comments, send us an email, any of that. And stay tuned for paid newsletter features, launching in ConvertKit shortly. We'll see you all on Friday. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you didn't pick it up from the show, we make a tool called ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. If you want to give ConvertKit a try, you can go to landingpage.new to launch your next creative project. You'll be able to build a landing page and send emails for up to 500 subscribers totally for free. So again, that's landingpage.new. You can get started with your free ConvertKit account today.